Thank you so much for that prayer, Jim. As he mentioned in his prayer, I will be continuing on this morning in the Gospel of John as we prepare our hearts also for communion this morning. So if you have a Bible with you, I'd like you to turn to John chapter 16, and we'll look at verses 25 through 33. John chapter 16 and verses 25 through 33 in our ongoing study of the Gospel of John. This morning, we come to the end of chapter 16, but not only do we come to the end of chapter 16, but we come to the end of Jesus' teaching time with his disciples in the upper room. We have been looking at this from chapters 13 through 16. And now his teaching time among them comes to an end. And I say his teaching time because when we get to chapter 17, we will see Jesus' high priestly prayer. But while he is praying that prayer, there is every evidence that the disciples continue to be with them. So it's not the end of the upper room. It's simply the end of his teaching time with them. They will not leave the upper room until chapter 18. So I want you to be thinking with me this morning. These are the very last words that Jesus teaches his disciples before he goes to the cross. Before he is crucified, these are the last things he chooses sovereignly to say to them. And in John 16, verses 25 through 33, Jesus says, I have said these things to you in figures of speech. The hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but will tell you plainly about the Father. In that day you will ask in my name. And I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf, for the Father himself who loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and have come into the world, and now I am leaving the world and going to the Father. His disciples said, Ah, now you are speaking plainly and not using figurative speech. Now we know that you know all things and do not need anyone to question you. This is why we believe that you came from God. Jesus answered them, Do you now believe? Behold, the hour is coming, indeed it is come, when you will be scattered each to his own home and will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Well, our first point this morning is that the hour is coming. Everything in the lives of Jesus' disciples is about to change. And I can't emphasize that enough. That is the mood of the text. That is the drama of this particular text. Everything in the lives of these 11 men, because Judas has now left, everything in the lives of these 11 men is about to change and about to change forever. Jesus is about to die. Jesus is about to be raised from the dead and then ascend to the right hand of God the Father. Jesus will send the helper 
the Holy Spirit, and by means of the Holy Spirit, he will live in his disciples and be with them forever. And when the Helper comes, the disciples will understand Jesus' teachings better than they have ever understood them before. In verse 25, he says, I have said these things to you in figures of speech. He is referring to what he has been teaching them in the upper room, but not only to that, but to all of his teachings. Figures of speech here does not mean, it does not mean that Jesus always spoke allegorically. It does not mean that he always spoke metaphorically. Figures of speech simply means a truth that is partially hidden because it cannot be fully understood until a later time. Let me say that again. Figures of speech means a truth which is, hard, which is partially hidden because it cannot be fully understood until a later time. So he said, I have said these things. I have been teaching to you in figures of speech. And think of how Jesus has done this. Think of what we've learned in the Gospel of John. Jesus said to his disciples and to the people, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. He said, you must be born again. He said, I'm going to give you living water that quenches thirst once and for all. He said, rivers of living water are going to flow from within the lives of believers. He said, I am the resurrection and the life and whoever believes in me will never see death. He said, the true believer in me is one who eats my flesh and drinks my blood. He said, before Abraham was, I am. I existed before Abraham. He said, I am the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. He said, there is a betrayer among you. You don't know who he is, but there is a betrayer among you. He said, in a little while, you will no longer see me, but then in a little while, you will see me. And so they understood, but they didn't understand. There was still confusion. But what's important in this passage is all of that is about to change. And all of that is about to change because the Holy Spirit is coming. The Holy Spirit hasn't come yet. In verse 12 of this chapter, Jesus said, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. And the reason they couldn't bear them now is because the Holy Spirit hadn't come yet. But in that second sentence of verse 25, Jesus says, the hour is coming. He's referring to the coming of the Holy Spirit, to Pentecost, and to the ultimate ministry of the Holy Spirit where he indwells every believer at the time that they are converted, at the time they come to know Christ as Savior. The hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but will tell you plainly about the Father. Oh, there is coming a time when the Holy Spirit indwells them that they will understand better than they've understood before. We see that unfold in the book of Acts. We see that unfold in the epistles where not all but many of these men become inspired writers of Scripture. And they explain things that we understand today. Now, even down to this day, there are some, some things that are still hard to understand, like the fullness of the Trinity, 
but we understand so much more because of the teaching ministry of the Holy Spirit using the Word of God. We understand so much more than they did in the upper room. So everything is about to change. And one of the most dramatic changes that the disciples will experience is in their prayers. In verses 26 and 27, Jesus says, In that day you will ask in my name, and I do not say, excuse me, and I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf, for the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. In that day, in that day is the same as the hour is coming when the Holy Spirit indwells you. When the Helper comes, when the Holy Spirit comes, in that day you will ask in my name. You will not have to ask me to ask the Father. And here's the big change that is about to take place. Here's the glorious change in their prayer life. They will have direct access to God the Father. They will go straight to God the Father. And as I shared with you two weeks ago, we pray to the Father in the name of the Son by the power of the Holy Spirit. We pray to the Father in the name of the Son by the power of the Holy Spirit. And that is what he is telling them. In that day you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf. You don't have to ask me to ask the Father. You can ask the Father. How come we have such a privilege to go directly to God the Father? Here's why. Because the Father himself loves you. And I say that to every single person in this auditorium, every single person watching by live stream. The Father, if you know Christ as your Savior, the Father loves you. He is your Father. He is your Heavenly Father. Why does He love you so much? Verse 27 tells us, Jesus says, because you have loved me and have be believed that I came from God. We have the privilege of going directly to God the Father because we have loved Jesus and have believed in him. And when you come to embrace him and know him and receive him, receive him as Lord and Savior, there are many, many benefits and privileges to your salvation, but one of the greatest is the privilege of prayer, of going directly to God the Father. So in verse 28, Jesus says, I came from the Father and have come into the world, and now I am leaving the world and going to the Father. In verse 28, Jesus summarizes his entire life and ministry. It's all wrapped up here in this one verse. He says, I came from the Father. I am God in human flesh. I came down from heaven. I was born in Bethlehem. I came down from heaven to earth and have come into the world. I have come into this world, which takes in all of his teachings and all of his miracles and all of his perfect life of obedience. I have come into the world, and now, now I am leaving the world and going to the Father. I'm going to die. 
I'm going to rise victorious from the death, from, from the dead. I am going to gloriously ascend to the Father. I am going to send you the Holy Spirit, the Helper. And because of all these things, because I came from the Father, came into this world and going back to the Father, that's why you, Christian man, you, Christian woman, that's why you have the privilege of going directly to God the Father in prayer. One of the greatest privileges ever given to any human being. Next Sunday morning is Father's Day. We're going to take a break from the Gospel of John, but I'm going to use part of John as we look at that. And I'm going to challenge our fathers, I'm going to challenge all of us as fathers to become men of prayer. One of the most important responsibilities we have been given on this earth is to become men of prayer. But that is next week. Our second point this morning is, I have overcome the world. The disciples are still desperately trying to understand Jesus' words and have no idea what is about to happen next. In verses 29 and 30, his disciples said, Ah, now you are speaking plainly and not using figurative speech. Now we know that you know all things and do not need anyone to question you. This is why we believe that you came from God. And what we have here in verse 29 is the innocence of the disciples and yet the immaturity of the disciples. Still immature. Understandably so. We would have been in exactly the same place as they are if we had been there at that time. They're like, oh, in their innocence, oh, we, all, we get it all now. Well, they don't get it all now. The Holy Spirit hasn't even come yet. They say, now you're speaking plainly and not using figurative speech. We do know this, that you know all things. No one needs to question you. That's why we believe that you came from God. There is an innocence there. They do. They are starting to understand it better. That proverbial light bulb is beginning to go off in their minds, but oh, there is so much yet they need to understand. So much more they'll be taught when the Holy Spirit comes. Plus, plus, they have no idea all that's about to happen when they leave the upper room. So in verse 31, Jesus answered them, Do you now believe there is a sense of godly sarcasm there do you now believe do you really believe verse 32 behold the hour is coming indeed it has come when you will be scattered each to his own home and will leave me alone yet i am not alone for the father is with me oh another hour is coming this is not the hour of the holy spirit this is the hour that's going to happen when they leave this upper room an hour is coming in fact, it's right upon us when you will be scattered, each to his own home, and you will leave me alone. They're going to go to the Garden of Gethsemane. They're going to face the betrayer, Judas, and those he brings with them to arrest Jesus. And all of those disciples, all 11 of them, are going to scatter in fear. They're going to leave their master. They're going to literally go to their own homes. They're all going to leave him. 
and he's going to be all by himself. Reminding us of the great isolation that Jesus experienced in his approach to the cross and, of course, in the cross itself. But Jesus says, yet I'm not alone because the Father's with me. The Father is with me. When Jesus says, you will be scattered, he is quoting from Zechariah chapter 13 and verse 7 where it says, strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. Zechariah prophesied this hundreds of years before it happened. Jesus quotes it in Mark chapter 14 and verses 26 and 27 where it says, and when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives and Jesus said to them, you will all fall away for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. Quoting from Zechariah 13, 7. So, even though they were understanding more, there was so much more they needed to learn, and they were about to face the most difficult time of their lives. It was about to happen, and it was about to happen shortly. Well, as Jesus concludes his teaching time with his disciples, he declares one of the most important truths that we have in the Christian faith. Verse 33. Verse 33 is one of those verses that Christians have clung to throughout church history. It is such a marvelous verse. And again, I just want to impress upon you that this is the very last thing he teaches them before he goes to the cross. What does he choose to say to them? The very last teaching instruction. He says in verse 33, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Everything that I have taught you, everything that I have continued to teach you here in the upper room, I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Let's break that down. He says, in the world you will have tribulation. That is good to know. You, what you are experiencing in your life is not abnormal. In this world, even as children of God, we have tribulation. This is not referring to the great tribulation at the end of time. This is talking to daily, or talking about daily, daily tribulation. The word tribulation here literally means pressure. You will experience pressure from this world. You will experience pressure constant pressure from the inward cravings of your own sinful desires. You will experience pressure from Satan and his demonic forces. Folks, this is the complete opposite, the complete antithesis of the prosperity gospel. Being a child of God does not excuse you or somehow allow you to escape the troubles of this life. You will find yourself right in the midst of them. In this world, in the world you have tribulation. Ah, but he says, in me 
you have peace. In me, you have peace. This isn't some conjured up peace. This isn't some mystical, transcendental peace. This is a peace that only comes to those that know Jesus as Savior. This is a supernatural peace that we have. It's ours in him. We already saw this in John 14, 27. Jesus said, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. In me, you have peace. In the world you have tribulation, in me you have peace. And then he says, but take heart, but take heart, I have overcome the world. In this world you have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world, but take heart. In the New American Standard Version it says, but take courage, but take courage, take heart, because I have overcome the world. That phrase, I have overcome the world, is filled with theological content. It could be a separate sermon all in itself. In Jesus' death and resurrection, he has completely conquered sin and death. He has been completely victorious over sin and death. He has completely conquered Satan and all of his demonic forces. He has gained a complete victory over the prince of this world. Not a partial victory, a complete victory. He says, I have overcome the world. He hasn't even died yet. He hasn't even risen from the grave yet. But he knows that his death and resurrection are so certain, so determined by God, that he speaks in the past tense. I have. Take heart. Take courage. I have overcome the world. Dr. Steve Lawson from Ligonier Ministries says this, in the middle of life's fiercest storms, Jesus gives us supernatural peace. He says there is not one moment of true peace outside of Jesus Christ. There is no peace outside of Jesus. He is our peace. All true peace is the fruit of the Spirit, capital S, Holy Spirit. All true peace is the peace of the Holy Spirit. It is the peace of Christ. And I want to say to every one of you this morning, this peace, this peace will be your strength in the darkest moments of your life. You say, how can this be? How can this be that Jesus will be our peace in the fiercest storms of life. How can it be that this peace will be our strength in the darkest moments of our lives? How can it be? Here's why. Because Jesus has overcome the world. Because our Savior has overcome the world. As we go to communion, this morning, 
Let us rejoice in the victorious death and resurrection of our Savior. He is our salvation, and he is our peace. Well, at this time, we are going to go to communion, and I want to make an announcement before we do that. Last month, at our communion time on May 1st, I announced that we would be returning to our former way of doing communion. Excuse me that we would be passing out the bread with larger crackers and then separately passing out the cup. Well, after I made that announcement, a number of concerns were expressed by those in our congregation. And I want you to know this morning that we have listened to those concerns. And we have decided as a leadership team that we are going to stay with the current communion format. We are going to stay with the double-stacked cups for the bread and the juice. So we are not making a change. We will continue to do what we've been doing for the past two years. Now, if you have a question about this, I want you to feel free to come to me and to ask me. If there's any questions you have about why we're remaining with what we're doing, I want you to always feel free, either after the service or some other time, to come directly to me and ask me, and I will explain it to you as best I can. So, as we have been doing, one deacon will pray for the bread and for the cup. The deacons will hand out the bread and cup together, and when everyone has been served, I will read a passage of scripture, and then we will eat and drink together. For those of you who are watching by live stream, while the deacons are serving communion, we encourage you to use this as a time of meditation and reflection. So at this time, we will share the Lord's Supper together.